One problem facing people at many levels of business is how to make time for a work life and a personal life. Do you find that one seems to keep getting in the way of the other? This is the Work-Life Balance with Rick Morris. Even if you're not involved in the business world, you'll have a lot to gain by tuning in to today's show. Now, here is your host, Rick Morris. And welcome to another edition of the Work-Life Balance. So happy to have everybody along on this Friday afternoon, getting into December. We're starting to get close to the end of the year and probably what's going to be one of the greatest New Year's celebrations ever <laughs> in celebrating that 2020 is no longer around with us. So we're kind of looking forward to that. Want to jump in with our guest today, who's a consultant product manager, and he lives and works right here in my very city, but it took the podcast world for the two of us to meet. Uh, he helps his clients build and release a amazing software products through coaching, education, and implementation of software project and product management. He's also releasing a new product under a new company called AppThink in early 2021 to help first-time founders learn the secrets of building successful software products from idea to launch through online training, one-on-one -on -one coaching, and community support. We've got a ton in common, and I'm happy, happy, happy to welcome Trevor Newberry to the show. How you doing, Trevor? I am doing great. It's been a long week. I'm glad to be at Friday afternoon and glad to be here. Yeah, you know, I, I got to pick the time slot for my show when I when I joined this <laughs> network. And five years I've been doing it as the last thing I do on Fridays, just yeah. kind of have a great conversation with somebody. And I'll tell you, man, there's Fridays I'm dragging in and yeah. Friday to, to, to walk out and wander out. So yeah, uh, super, super excited. Uh, did, my, did my sound just go out there for a second? Or are we good? I've still got you. All right, perfect. Perfect. Yeah, my my computer is is flashing if you can see it it's fantastic if you're watching it on video it's just phenomenal as it goes light dark uh everywhere else so we're going to hope that that doesn't uh turn into a technology break here soon but uh trevor let's let's just uh, introduce yourself really quickly uh and uh let's get into uh app think and why you decided to to create that yeah, absolutely. So my name is Trevor Newberry here in Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, I have been, uh, I own and have been running my own consulting firm uh, for the past three years. Uh, and I work mostly with first time and non-technical software founders. Um, <clears throat> I do a lot of very in-depth work with my current clients. Um, but we decided to try to go from a one-to-one -to, -one to a one-to-many uh, <clears throat> approach for the business. And so AppThink was born out of that. We we knew that we could get this product management uh, education into more people's hands a lot more affordably if we were able to package this stuff up and do this in a, in a really smart way, not just your, your <clears throat> normal online course that you go to Udemy and buy, but we're still including a lot of one-to-one -one coaching. We're still doing a lot of community support. Um, so we're really excited about this. We're hoping to launch our first product here in January or maybe early February. We'll see how it goes. Both of us, uh, myself and my co-founder, are full-time workers. So we'll see how that goes. Yeah. And so, yeah, it, in, I mean, it, it, we actually discussed, uh, so really quickly, if you'll tell everybody your podcast. Sure. So actually what's really fun about that is the dispatch, which you were a guest on, uh, is going away and it's going to be replaced by the app thing podcasts. So you can still, I'm not going to, I'm not going to take the episodes down. The dispatch will still be out there, but we're going to we're going to actually move most of our uh, podcasting to the app thing podcast. That one's not released yet. So if you're looking for our content, then you can go to, uh, you can look for the dispatch, uh, both words, T H E dispatch, uh, anywhere you can find podcasts. We're on all the platforms. 
And so we had a great discussion and we, we discussed really another kind of company. I doubt, I don't think it's a competitor. It's one that you go outsource, but sure. uh, one that I, I was uh, involved with, but is this, describe kind of the difference between going to an outsourced kind of software platform or, or where somebody tries to bring a bunch of people together and get your idea up to what AppThink is going to be doing. Yeah. So <clears throat> AppThink is focused on, uh, it's it's sort of counterintuitive. It's it's less focused on actually building software, and it's a lot more focused on teaching. You know, so take <clears throat> Bob. Bob's got a really big idea, right? Bob wants to build a, the next big mobile app. He wants to build the next big Uber. Well, you and I both know because we've been doing this kind of work for a long time that Bob's chances of building the next Uber are vanishingly small, right? Especially <clears throat> if he's never done it before. So what we what we learned over the course of working with Newberry Consulting was that. There were so many of these very analog, somewhat counterintuitive practices, techniques, things that Bob can do to give himself a leg up so that his app, his big idea, he can actually launch that and find some success, right? So we're not, we're not focused on pointing people towards software development shops. We're not focused on helping them uh, bring in freelancers, developers. We're, we're focused on teaching product management principles and best practices uh, so that, you know, our, our fictional character, Bob, can give himself a really good shot at not building the next Uber, but getting enough traction so that maybe he's on his way there. Right. Through iterations and through, through development. Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> why should Bob even buy a, or try to build a software product? I mean, <laughs> so I why should Bob this, care? Yeah, I get this question a lot. And, and I'll be honest with you, there's, there's two answers there. Well, the one answer is, well, maybe you shouldn't, but Here's the reason I tell people they should build software if it's a good fit for their idea. Software is just such a fascinating process, the, both the process of developing and releasing, but also it's unlike a lot of other or really any other product in the world. It's a totally green pasture. You can, if you've got the means, you can build it. Technology is, is becoming more and more available to more and more people uh, rapidly, so, so fast. So, you know, we can solve big customer problems. We can, we can create products that can not just scale through iteration, but also just meet a very specific, highly targeted need uh, just through the use of building a piece of software. So unlike building a house, like, <clears throat> you know, the one I'm in right now, we have a template for that, right? We have a lot of regulatory things that you got to go through to build a house. Um, for the most part, we know how to do that. And there are variations on a theme, but a house is a house, right? A building's a building. Some people are innovating, but eh, it is what it is. If you want to go and get into building, you know pretty much what you're going to have to do. With software, it's just, a, it's it's wide open and that can be, that can be a weakness and overwhelming, but it can also really allow us to solve really big problems. And so we're, we're really passionate about that. And that's why I would tell Bob to build some software. Well, and what I think a lot of people don't know is that almost every, almost every company is a software company and a statistic. Absolutely. I don't know if it's true anymore, uh, but I use it all the time is that there's more developers at Nike than there are shoe makers. <laughs> and, and that's well, because of, be. yeah, because of e-commerce, because of Amazon, because of all the different hooks that they need to be doing as well as um, you know, we've got this whole AI piece that's starting to come up, robotic process automation, and and there's a lot of people that are fearful of that. But when you really see what RPA does, it, it basically automates the mundane so that we mm -hmm. can just use our innovation cycles. And so yeah. it, it's an interesting time. But beyond that, with the internet as well, uh, we've got this wonderful ability to be so diverse in talent. I'm, I'm working on a project right now. The, the, the client is building something that's never been done before. It's a disruptor. He's out of the UK. We've got a development team that's in Moscow. 
Moscow. I've got a designer that's in New Zealand and I'm running the project from Birmingham, Alabama. And that ability to have this global collaboration and literally, if, for me, I love it because I, I wake up and there's stuff done and I, then I can yeah. review and send my notes and go about my day. And then the next, yep. next morning we, we do it again. But it's really interesting time to, to be looking at software and looking at, at some of these frameworks. I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, you know, I know that the uh, with COVID uh, and and the work from home movement, the ma- the movement on mass to working from your couch or your living room or whatever has been difficult for a lot of people. But personally, you know, for the work that I do, and I think especially with software companies, it's just it's wonderful. I feel like I can do more faster. I can be more productive uh, and and solve bigger problems for for my clients just because of the the way that we're connected and the way that software specifically uh, can be engaged with and iterated upon just over the internet. Yeah. And so there's this thought pattern though, that, um, you know, I've got this big idea, but somebody's already kind of done it. Mm-hmm. But what do you say to those people? Well, you know, here's the thing. Uh, my, my co-founder with AppThink and I have talked about this and we've actually written it into some of the content. Um, somebody else having created a similar product to yours or, or tried to solve the problem before, it doesn't even make the top 10 of the problems that you need to address when you're first starting out. Very, very few things, very, very few products are absolutely brand new, right? There's, there's right. very few things that are, have never been done before or never tried before. What the, the blue ocean that exists for people is doing it better or solving it in a different way, right? So maybe there are, uh, maybe there are competitors out there, but maybe they're addressing the wrong thing, right? Maybe they're just not even, they're not hitting the problem point that you need to be focusing on. Or maybe you can deliver that in a unique way. You can deliver it at a lower price. You can deliver it with different kinds of deliverables, different service levels. Um, you know, so you're always going to have competition. I mean, starting app think there's at least one company here in Birmingham that's doing something very similar to what we're trying to do, but we think we're doing it better, right? We think we, we, think we have a, a unique approach. So it doesn't deter us from building what we're building and it shouldn't deter anyone else from building what they're building. The thing that should deter them is if they actually engage in some of these practices, like conducting problem interviews, um, doing rapid prototyping, and they find out that they're, they're just striking out at it every turn, right? When you start to get data back from your users, uh, that's that's when you need to maybe reevaluate. But just simply finding somebody in the market that's doing what you're doing isn't a really good excuse to stop doing what you're doing. So you, you said a term real quick, and we're about to go to break, but I'd like for people that aren't familiar with the term, the blue ocean versus red ocean. Yeah. Um, so, and, and forgive me, you may actually be able to describe this a little better than I do. Um, I think of it as a heuristic, frankly. Um, but a blue ocean, uh, a re- actually a red ocean, we should start there. A red ocean is, is a place where there's a lot of fish swimming and sharks have gotten into the water and there's been some carnage, right? There's a lot of yep. blood in the water. Um, it's crowded and it's dangerous. Blue ocean, uh, rep- it, it represents a space that really hasn't been attacked yet, right? There's maybe not a lot of activity there. And so we need to be looking for those blue ocean opportunities uh, for our products. And for example, uh, Cirque du Soleil was blue ocean thinking above a normal circus. Still some of the same things, but just done in a way that that's never really been done before. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, um, and and I love it. I love I love hearing the term. I'll tell you the other term I heard uh, recently uh, described to me as well as cathedral thinking. 
Oh, which, I heard that one. Yeah, Barb Stegman shared that with me, which is most of the designers and architects of the world's greatest cathedrals knew they'd never see the finished product. Hmm. So what are we doing today as a company, as an organization, as an executive team that, that's going to be here 300, 400, 500 years from now and yeah. knowing that we'll never get to see the fruition, but we should start. Absolutely. I love that. I loved it. And like her, hers is ending corruption. Yeah. Right? Oh, so, wow. so, that's a big yeah. one. It's a big one. And she knows she'll never see it, but she feels like she can make a dent in that space. And, and, and that's cathedral thinking versus blue ocean thinking, which I think I are, are, are awesome terms. So we're going to take a quick break right here. When we come back with uh, Trevor, we're going to start talking about what should you not do or what should you do if you want to start going down uh, this, this path of building a software product for your business. So we'll be talking about that right after the break. You're listening to Rick Morris on the Work-Life Balance. Are you aware that 80% of project management executives do not know how their projects align with their company's business strategy? Are you aware that businesses identified capturing time and costs against projects as their biggest project management challenge? Are you aware that 44% of project managers use no software, even though PricewaterhouseCoopers found that the use of commercially available project management software increases performance and satisfaction? Now, imagine that you could have the ease of entry like a spreadsheet and a software tool set up and running within two to four weeks. Imagine within two weeks being able to see clearly where all of your resource conflicts are. Well, you don't have to imagine because PDWare has already created it. PDWare can give you real-time access to KPIs, easily updated views of what your teams are working on, and immediate feedback to some of project management's toughest questions. Like, when can we start this project? What happens if we delay this project? Can we do this in time? How does this new project impact our current portfolio? Find us at pdware.com and imagine not manually compiling endless reports again. Are you getting the most out of your project management software? In many cases, it is not the software that is failing, but the implementation, limitations, or processes surrounding the use of that software. R-Squared can analyze your current use and help improve your return on investment. R-Squared can also suggest the best software for your organization and goals and assist in the selection, implementation, and training. Allow R-Squared to ensure that you are getting the value of your investment. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com today. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to the Work-Life Balance. To reach Rick Morris or his guest today, we'd love to have you call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, Rick can be reached at rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com. Now back to the work-life balance. And we're back to the work-life balance on this Friday afternoon. Uh, we're with Trevor Newberry, who uh, formerly or still owns Newberry Consulting, but <laughs> still. Uh, App still, but uh, App Think is uh, the up and coming. It's it's something that they're looking to hopefully release in 2021, and we're getting to get a uh, a sneak peek at uh, what the future holds for Trevor. So, Trevor, mm-hmm. 
we, we talked about Bob. Let, let, let's keep messing with Bob. Sure. Um, or since John Watson's on the line, we'll say John. All right. John's got a really big idea. And John does. John has a ton of big ideas, but he doesn't ever do anything with them. And so what we want to know is what is the first thing we should do with our great big idea when it comes to that software space? Yep. Well, and, and as you know, it's not build something. That's the last thing you should do. And that's what most people run to. Most people, they have a big idea and they, they hop on their computer and they Google how to build a mobile app or how to build a website, right? Yeah. Uh, how to do an e-commerce store. In reality, you know, the, the thing with software is that it's still very expensive to build. I mean, there are low and no code tools out there that can get you off the ground, but, and they're getting better and better every day, but it's still really expensive. It doesn't matter what approach you take either. Right. So you can, you can hire a development shop and <clears throat> pay $200 an hour. Uh, you can offshore it and have language barriers and, uh, you know, a, a, a big, lift for yourself in terms of management. And if you don't know how to do that, that's a problem. You can bring on a technical co-founder and give up 40% of your company. It costs you a lot of money one way or the other. So the first thing you need to be doing is minimizing risk as much as you can. And the way that we do that is by building a business hypothesis. And it's, you know, if you, if you went through science class in high school, you know what a hypothesis is. It's a testable statement, right? So what we're going to do is we're going to turn your business idea into a testable statement. If X, then Y, right? This is my assumption. And then we're going to go out and we're going to do a couple of things to test that hypothesis. And we're going to be able to say, hopefully, yes, I'm on the right track or no, this idea was not what I thought it was, or I need to alter it, edit it in some way to test again and look for some positive feedback uh, to, to give us the, the confidence that we can move forward with this investment and not waste a bunch of money. And so how do you go about then testing out that hypothesis? What are, what are the couple of things you suggest there? Easiest, the easiest and first thing to do um, is what we call a problem interview. Right. So in a problem interview, it's really important to uh, state at the outset that you're not talking with anyone about your product. You're not talking about them with your concept idea. Um, You're talking to people to find out whether or not they feel the pain, feel the problem that you're hoping you can solve with your product. You don't want to mention what you're doing because people have, they're, they're already inclined to, they're going to be inclined to tell you that they like your idea, that it's a good idea, right? Uh, people that's, we're just wired that way. We're social creatures. We don't want to rock the boat. We like to be in good graces with people, right? So if I come to you and say, I've got this awesome app idea that'll do X, Y, and Z, you're probably, well, maybe not you, Rick, because you've done this a long time, but Bob might look at me and say, Hey, <clears throat> that's an awesome idea. Very cool. Look at how creative you are. But that's not good data. That doesn't tell me I should build this app. What I need to be asking Bob is, do you experience frustration because of thing X or Y? Uh, If yes, why? If no, maybe I'm going to move on to the next question and I'm going to start probing uh, in like a 20 to 30 minute interview. It's low stakes. It's not hard to do, but you want to gather a reasonable amount of data that indicates that you've actually hit on something that people care about that, that, you know, frankly, they'd be willing to trade something of value to solve. Does that make sense? Absolutely. As a matter of fact, just to kind of bring it full circle, one of the something I got trained on. This always I'd go on a tangent here for a second. But when sure. I was at Xerox, when I was at Xerox, and you sold and and you you made your number, you got to go to President's Club, which was more sales training. I was like, well, I think you should be training the people who didn't hit their number, right? But yeah. but sure, I like I never understood that. But in any case, I got exposed to what was called the Sandler sales system, mm. which was this is in year ninety nine, and it blew my mind. But it's the same concept. Most 
people do what we call spilling their candy in the lobby. They, I've got this great idea, right? And, and, but You've got some good visuals. Yeah, <laughs> but what they, but really, the the way to sell. If you look at a normal sales cycle, mm-hmm. is I'm going to tell you I got a great product. You're going to ask for a demo. I'm going to put in a ton of free consulting and showing you that demo, but I don't even know if you're a qualified prospect. Yep. But but we're so afraid to hear the word no that we'll do everything that we can to keep the sales cycle alive because then we feel like we're doing something. Well, in this case, we, we try to get to the no through qualification, but instead of saying, I've got a product that can help you do X, you say, well, it may not be the case here, but many of my clients experience the problem. And yes. then, so, so that was a tangent to get to the point that the most effective sales technique I've ever seen. And I, people are like, well, what's your app going to do for me? And go, I don't even have an app. I don't even know what it's going to do for you. Um, <laughs> what I'm trying to find out is, is, you know, I, I may not, I may not ever create something to solve it, but some of the people I talk to have an issue with this. Do you? Right. Yeah. And in that yeah. getting people back to that pain because no pain, no sale. And what yeah. they actually called it was pain grenades. Yeah. You lob three or four pain grenades over at the client, and if none of them you know, hit, then there's no sale. Yeah. But if one of them starts to hit, then you pull the thread and, and off you go. I think it's really important, too, to, to make the point that uh, you know, every product solves a problem. And problem and pain, I, I find them to be maybe misnomers. Um, because, you know, sure, if, if you know, I've lobbed my arm off in an accident, I have, a, I have an acute amount of pain, right? And I need a solution now. But you know, this right here, this is a really fancy fountain pen. I love it. This didn't solve a painful thing for me, but it's something that I enjoy. The, the problem that this solved for me is this helps me to be a person that I want to, I'm a fountain pen collector, right? Yeah. Like that's the, that's the thing. It actually helped me to uh, advance to another level of being a fountain pen connector or a collector. So, you know, I think that every product we look at solves a problem, but the problem isn't always something that actually frustrates or makes us angry. Sometimes it's an aspirational thing. Sometimes we're making a transition from X to Y, from point X uh, as I am to being the person that I want to be Y. Well, let's let's take the flip side approach of this for a second, Trevor. So let's say, um, you know, Yes, most people have that propensity to go, oh, that's going to be an awesome idea. That's going to be a great idea. But what, what if you're getting into it and this person goes, yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't put a dime into that thing, right? Yep. <laughs> they just say like, you're nuts. This is stupid. I don't see how it'll work. And there's a, enough people around that'll say that as well. What, what do you say to that? Look, I had this conversation today, <clears throat> which I think was uh, pretty interesting. Somebody called me and we had a, a 30 minute call and he, he pitched this idea and I said, I think it's, I think you're onto something. And, and he smiled and I said, and most people are onto something, right? Like yeah. that you're not special. Most people or are. on something. Yeah. yeah on to or on something. Yes. There, yeah. There's something, there's something <laughs> here, you know, early stage product ideas, they need data, right? Yeah. It's okay. If somebody says that this idea sucks, that's a really good result for you because you haven't built anything. You haven't got any money invested in it. You're just, you're just saying, Hey, do you have this problem? Or maybe if you'd advanced a little bit further down the line, you've put together a, an inexpensive prototype for them to test out. But your goal as the the founder of a product or a company is to find, is to just continually pivot and iterate your way towards something that they do care about, right? So when someone says, <clears throat> this idea sucks, that's okay. You want to find out why. You want to start asking deep and granular questions. What about it sucks, right? Do you just like, you know, do you just not like 
this industry or this kind of product, or if you're showing them a, a prototype website, you know, is the layout, like, could you find your way around it? What was it that you didn't enjoy about this? And you need to try and get that information as granular as you can, because it's going to give you really, really strong indicators as to, did is there just something, is there just a component wrong with this that I need to address? Or is the whole thing off base? And if the whole thing's off base, how do I pivot this concept uh, in a way that makes it more agreeable to that customer or to customer X, Y, or Z? Uh, but it's not a bad result, especially early on. The last thing you want to do is pour hundreds and hundreds if not of thousands of dollars, if not millions of dollars into building a product and only to find out that then that it sucks. That, yeah. That's what sucks. Yeah. yeah. I had a similar conversation. Uh, it was last week, but they, they, they were looking at influencers in the project management space and they found one. Uh, it was a good friend of mine and he fell all over the idea. He thought it was great. Suggested that they come after me for, for the representation of the United States. And I looked at it and I thought it was, it was a hunk. And yeah. it, it, it's, it, and I'm at a point where I'm unafraid to say those kinds of things. It's just like yeah. this. I just, nice. I, I see what you're trying to do. I just don't see how it solves a problem. Like it, mm-hmm. it, it identifies the problem we all know exists a little bit better, but it doesn't give us the answer of what to do about it. And, and mm-hmm. I just, so I don't see where it's going. I love that though, in the case of if you're a great entrepreneur, then that becomes fuel. Yeah. to prove somebody like me wrong. Somebody who's an influencer, somebody somebody who thinks they know what they're talking about and and turn around and go, you said this sucks. And, and you know, I, I sold a hundred million this year. You know I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. awesome. Yeah. And and then, you know, have <clears throat> me kick my kick myself for, for that piece. But no, I, I think it's a really um, interesting uh, component. It, not only to, to get the strong opinion of, um, you know, it sucks or, or whatever that we're saying, um, but also it gives us the opportunity to see where else we can grow or what other people are going to see. It's like, I almost want that. No, in such an early stage uh, because it's just going to make the, make us stronger. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think there's, there's, and you, you understand this, but there's just so much psychology to these early stage processes. You know, if you're too precious about your idea, you might as well stop. I mean, you're going to get told no, over and over and over again. That's yeah. just going to happen continually over and over and over again. So you need to shift the focus to working towards finding something that does have traction, not just protecting and being precious about your original concept because it probably does suck. Most of them do. I know mine did. When I started Newberry Consulting, I didn't know what the hell I was doing and it showed. I didn't make any money and it took yeah. me a couple of years to figure out where I was providing value. And, you know, I took, I did the same thing that I, I teach my consulting clients to do with my own company. So, yeah. Sure. Yeah. And so in, in today's day and age though, what's interesting about how software development has evolved. I mean, back in the day, it would take two years to get to market. And then by the time we actually saw the product, but now we're getting into a space where you put out what we call the MVP, the minimally viable product and let the market tell us right where it's going. So I want to get into that concept to agile into one of my favorite uh, topics, which is feature chasing. And we'll talk about that when we come back from break. You're listening to Trevor Newberry. This is Rick Morris on the work-life balance. Are you frustrated with the overall productivity of your project management processes? Do you lack consistency in project delivery? 
R Squared Consulting provides end-to-end services to assist companies of all sizes in realizing and improving the value of project management. Whether you want to build a project management office, train project managers, or learn how to bring the oversight and governance to your project processes, R Squared has tailored best practices to help you in all areas of project management. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com. At the Work-Life Balance, we like to ask simple questions to our executives and portfolio managers. Are you picking your projects based on what the organization can spend, or is it based on what your resources can realistically achieve? This question, if not answered properly, can cause great strain on your staff, limiting the return on investment. When creating project selection criteria, does your organization attempt to understand the amount of resources needed to complete the work? Is this done in spreadsheets or at a high level? What if we told you there was a simple and easy solution that was built with resource planning in mind? We call it Resource First from PDWare. Resource First was built with resource planning as its foundation. We have years of experience that proves before a company fine-tunes its project and portfolio management processes. Without a process for resource planning, the best processes and algorithms can fall flat. Resources should be first when deciding the strategy of taking an organization forward. Find out more at pdware.com. Put your people first with Resource First from PDWare. Join us at pdware.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to the Work-Life Balance. To reach Rick Morris or his guest today, we'd love to have you call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, Rick can be reached at rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com. Now back to the Work-Life Balance. And we're back to the Work-Life Balance on this Friday afternoon. We're meeting with Trevor Newberry, who is the founder of a new product called AppThink, or co-founder of a, uh, a new product called AppThink. I won't, I won't give you all credit, Trevor, but uh, most of it. We'll go <laughs> I don't deserve that. all of it. Um, but we, uh, <clears throat> right before break, we, we brought up one of my favorite terms, which is feature chasing. And just as a, as a quick story to the first time I ever really heard that term and, and saw somebody who thought differently – he was, I believe, the second or third guest ever on the Work-Life Balance show. Somebody that I, I, I saw uh, speak at CA World. Uh, his name was Paul Pedrazzi. Mm-hmm. Paul had built uh, two of uh, the major apps that got bought by PeopleSoft. Okay. Uh, 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 not uh, Taleo. He was, in, he was responsible for building Taleo. Okay. He got bought, cool. bought by PeopleSoft. He got hired as a product engineer for CA to take over CAPPM and really – quickly became the overall branding person. And I remember because I was on this, this council that we started talking about what we wanted to see in the product. And he goes, I'm not feature chasing. And I was like, mm. what are you talking about? He goes, I'm not going to chase the things that you guys say you need. I said, what are you talking about? Right. And he says, I'm going to, I'm going to go sit with our customers and I'm going to ask a ton of questions. And I'm going to ask, why are you opening a PowerPoint for that? How come you're using Excel for that? Not this product. He yeah. goes, that's what we're going to, is going to tell us where this product has to go. And I thought the dude was nuts until I saw the end results and the yeah. things that I still not in the product that I was passionate about. I don't care. Right. Mm-hmm. I just don't care because yep. we really didn't need that piece. Yeah. So how do you get people out of feature chasing 
uh, as a better definition is a very tactical, we must do A, B, and C, and it must be done in this way, versus big picture thinking that says, it's really not even a problem we should solve. We should give the market this piece and, yeah. and they'll forget about that. How do, you, how do you get an owner to transition to that level of thinking? The hard, the hard answer to that is that sometimes you don't. Honestly, mm -hmm. like sometimes it's, you know, again, I mentioned people that hold their concept too close to their heart. Uh, <clears throat> they've got too much pride wrapped up in it. Sometimes you don't, but when I'm successful, typically, uh, you know, the, gosh, agile scrum, whatever you, how, however you want to approach it, it's all about eliminating waste and maximizing value, right? So when I'm working with a founder, when I'm working with a client, you know, usually the, the trick is to, is to tie it to business results, right? Yeah. Uh, whatever that business result is. Look, <clears throat> I can tell you that feature X, Y, and Z are each going to cost you $50,000. What do you think about the hypothetical scenario that Y and Z are useless and nobody wants them, but X makes up for a tremendous amount of that potential value lost? Well, if I can tell you that ahead of time, I can keep you from spending $100,000 that you don't need to spend, right? And I can add a tremendous amount of value to your product. So typically, you know, <clears throat> I think that agile is something that is, uh, it's a bit of a buzzword and it's also kind of confusing to people that haven't worked in it and worked with it for a while. But I, I try to probably oversimplify, but I try to simplify it for people and say, look, we're going to eliminate waste. We're going to maximize value and we're going to create something that's really, really valuable to your customers. We're going to make it, this is going to be like jet fuel for your business, right? Like that's what it is. Uh, and, and especially in the software realm, because it's like we talked about earlier, it's just really expensive. So, you know, the, the, more waste you can eliminate from your process, the better. I mean, I, that's true for any industry and any product, but especially here, it's just the only thing that I can think of doing more expensive is just paying a lawyer to sit around, you know, I mean, because they, they charge those kind of fees, these development shops do, right? Yeah. Um, it's just a, it's a really wasteful process. And so, you know, to your point, feature chasing, we don't set the requirements. That's waterfall, right? right. <clears throat> we don't, we don't do that. We don't collect requirements from stakeholders and then set the, you know, the burn down from that point. That's not how we do this. Right. And it's a, it's a wasteful way to do it. In most cases, we go to the customer and we find out what they want. What will they pay for? What will they use? What will they promote to their friends and family? That's what we're going to build. And so let, let's play the Agile game for a moment. So I'd love to ask these questions to anybody who works in Agile uh, along with me. So number one, uh, does <clears throat> Agile mean everything's faster? No. no what, so what so. does it really mean then? Uh, <laughs> that's a great question. I, I've got uh, well, an answer. I just wanted your opinion. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I honestly, I, I think I, what I said earlier is, is how I describe it is we're eliminating waste and we're maximizing value. Yeah, that's what it is. It's what getting the value quicker is what yeah. I say. It's, yeah. it's, it's currently we, we, if we look at it and, and I always, I always take this, this example. One is um, if, if somebody says we want to build a data warehouse. Okay. Why? Well, we <laughs> want to increase our sales. Okay. How? Right. Well, we want to increase our sales because we think we need to do a local market plan. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, let's just do one manually and see if yeah. it helps before we put money into a data warehouse. And once you get there, you start going, okay, well, what data do you need for these 50 accounts? They're like, well, how do we know it's the best 50 accounts? I was like, well, there's our first agile question. Yes. Right? So now let's go answer that. How do we know these are the best 50 accounts per salesperson? And let's go do a project around that that doesn't even involve a data warehouse. Mm -hmm. But the traditional way is that we would build this huge data warehouse, we would collect all the data, and then we would have no use cases mm -hmm. in order to operationalize that or add value. Yep. 
this way, now that we've proven it, we say, okay, now we can do Florida and then we'll roll into Georgia and then we'll pick up Texas and California and go state by state as a rollout, but you're using it and generating value and revenue against the work while we're still iterating and, and building. That's agile. I, I think that's a really great way to put that. And at the time layer of that is something that I think maybe if I'm being self-critical that I miss a lot of times, but I, I will oftentimes use the phrase, uh, again, I try to use heuristics with a, a lot of my clients because they are non-technical and they are first time. So um, <clears throat> so a lot of times I'll use the the old phrase of we're slowing down to go faster here, right? We're, we're yeah. going to get, like you described, we're going to get to a valuable product a lot faster, but it's going to feel like you're slowing down. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and I always say, look, to, to write two, 200,000 lines of code takes what it takes. It's whether yeah. or not 50,000 can generate revenue yep. or 100,000 or 175, right? So it's, it's yep. about where, where is that minimally viable product that we can go to market and then we can let the market drive where we go. Yeah. Yep. Right? 100%. But yep. uh, yeah, so the, so, but you don't have to document now because you're agile. That's something else I hear all the time. You don't, <laughs> no documentation is required. Yeah, that's not true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, documentation is essential. I mean, because you are building something, right? You are, uh, you are interviewing people, you are collecting data, you are building something that's going to have to be used and maintained and, and managed moving forward in perpetuity. So yeah, absolutely. Documentation is important. So let's talk about just again, just to answer the other side of that question. Why is so much documentation exists? Well, what happens is, and here's the key for me. Here's my key breakdown. If we were to say what's what's the one difference between project management and agile, mm -hmm. if, if you only had one, I say it's the language. I say project management is designed to avoid failure, where mm -hmm. agile is designed to seek success. That's the yep. difference. Yeah. So in project management, we got to document everything up front. We got to do these forms, whether they apply or not, <laughs> and we got to look for all the different things that can go wrong. Yeah. And then we and then we protect it fiercely from change from mm -hmm. from any kind where you're not allowed to change scope changes, change requests, and all this other stuff. Yeah. Whereas agile kind of assumes that we're gonna fail with the ability to seek success on the backside. So it's a yeah. mindset. It's not a methodology. I had that conversation like two hours ago. I was talking to a guy that uh, is the CEO of a local uh, development shop. And, and, and I was telling him, he was probing me about my project management experience and asking uh, just some questions around that. And I said, you know, to me, people get caught up in the, the tactics, right? With agile methodologies, with whether it's, you know, Kanban or Scrum or what, you know, pick your, pick your methodology. Um, <clears throat> to me, the mindset is a lot more important, right? So there's an, there's a, a wrong way to use these methodologies. And that's by sticking too closely to the exact processes without understanding why you're doing it, right? That's, that's a huge mistake. And that's where you end up with um, <clears throat> one of my pet peeves. Uh, you know, can I work with smaller, uh, smaller companies and products, but is this concept of scrum fall in the development process? Yeah. It's, you get the worst of both worlds because nobody understands why yeah. you're doing either of them. You know, it's just like, okay, so my, client says, I want all these things. So I need to collect all these things. Okay. So you, there's your first mistake. And then the second thing is, but I'm going to break them into sprints so that it looks like I'm being agile. I'm just going to call this a sprint. We're going to do it in two weeks. And then we're going to give you something to look at after the fact. It doesn't work. And it, understanding the philosophy behind it is a lot more important. And so back to your documentation question, <clears throat> you know, 
of, there's a, of course, there's a lot less documentation. It's still important, right? But it's only important as it serves that, that philosophy of seeking value as opposed to preventing failure, right? The irony of that phrase is that a lot of times project management and, and waterfall applied it incorrectly to software, it causes failure. And, and it's efforts sure. to avoid failure. It causes failure. I dealt with that all summer. I had a, a client that was sold a product and sold a an off-the-shelf add-on to the product that the development team didn't know how to use. And we spent three months trying to fix that. I ended up having to pull the source code and give it to the developers and say, here, do this. You know, it just it causes so many problems. Yeah. And actually we, we just wrote a blog post about that and, and published it the other day that uh, one piece of it was look out for Scrumfall. Look out for that. Uh, it's a big problem. Yeah. Well, I think I, I if I summed up what what's wrong with <clears throat> agile for industry is that it's been commoditized to training. It became yeah. the Six Sigma boom. It came. It became the ISO nine thousand boom. It became yep. the TQM boom. It's it's another way to say okay, look. First thing you got to do is pay for training for everybody in the organization. The second thing we're going to do is take the team agile. And then see the results, but but the executives are still asking for waterfall level reports. And yep. because nobody knows how to say no to an executive, they start to create waterfall level reports and you end <laughs> up with scrum fall. That's, yep. that's exactly how you end up there. 100%. Versus training the executives how to think agile first before you ever move a development team in. And who says you have to train everybody? You just tell them this is what we're doing. Yeah. Right. We don't have to train them on terminologies and ceremonies. And all. It's a meeting. Show Just, up. We'll tell you what we want. Let's go. Right. <laughs> Do we all have to stand or what is this? Thing? Yeah. <laughs> but then, yeah. but then all these training firms, they come in, they say we can do a, a, a transformation, but have never moved beyond a team at all. Yeah. So yeah. then once you start asking the tougher questions or start pointing out that certain ceremonies don't work, they crumble mm -hmm. and fall and walk away. And now you've got yeah. a year of a transformation that's not giving you anything. Yeah. Look, it, it, it behooves anyone that's working in this space to understand the concepts. Certainly um, get a, get a CSM or an LSM. Great. But uh, I mean, I think what you just said is, is totally true. Like th this is a, this is a framework, right? This is a framework that needs to be uh, nimble and flexible enough to meet your needs, right? It's more important to understand the philosophy than it is to execute the uh, the certain tactics that have been prescribed in the book that you rented or uh, checked out from the library, right? It's just so much more important for people to understand why they're doing what they're doing, even if they don't understand the terminology, even if they don't have a certification. Uh, the training stuff, you know, I, I don't want to knock it. I know people that do it, but certainly I agree with you on that, that that's, that isn't the way to go about an agile transformation for sure. Uh, for me, when you say I'm going agile, that's like somebody saying I need to exercise. Well, look, yeah. you've got Planet Fitness, you've got Orange Theory, you've got yeah. this home thing. Do you want to do Beachbody? Like yeah. there's a thousand ways to exercise, which you've got to find that specific one that's going to motivate you to get to results. And that's yep. it. It, it. So I don't care what we call it. But uh, but yeah, same. We're going agile. I was like, I always love to go. What brand? Because every company goes. Ah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Kanban <laughs> Scrum started with Scrum. <laughs> Start rattling off words. Yeah. All right, we're going to take our final break right here. When we come back, we'll ask the question we ask all of our guests. You've been listening to Trevor Newberry. This is Rick Morris with Work Life Balance.
Are you aware that 80% of project management executives do not know how their projects align with their company's business strategy? Are you aware that businesses identified capturing time and costs against projects as their biggest project management challenge? Are you aware that 44% of project managers use no software, even though PricewaterhouseCoopers found that the use of commercially available project management software increases performance and satisfaction? Now, imagine that you could have the ease of entry like a spreadsheet and a software tool set up and running within two to four weeks. Imagine within two weeks being able to see clearly where all of your resource conflicts are. Well, you don't have to imagine because PDWare has already created it. PDWare can give you real-time access to KPIs, easily updated views of what your teams are working on, and immediate feedback to some of project management's toughest questions, like, when can we start this project? What happens if we delay this project? Can we do this in time? How does this new project impact our current portfolio? Find us at pdware.com and imagine not manually compiling endless reports again. Are you frustrated with the overall productivity of your project management processes? Do you lack consistency in project delivery? R-Squared Consulting provides end-to-end services to assist companies of all sizes in realizing and improving the value of project management. Whether you want to build a project management office, train project managers, or learn how to bring the oversight and governance to your project processes, R-Squared has tailored best practices to help you in all areas of project management. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to the Work-Life Balance. To reach Rick Morris or his guest today, we'd love to have you call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, Rick can be reached at rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com. Now, back to the Work-Life Balance. And we're back to the Work-Life Balance on this Friday afternoon, visiting with Trevor Newberry, who's got a new app called AppThink coming out. New pro- product. We won't, Not an app. we won't just say it's an app. <laughs> we'll say it's a product. It's a revolution. It's a new way of thinking. It's going to be the way of thinking. Hey, simple. just like we were talking about, I'm not going to build an app until I'm sure it's the right time. To there it is. Right? There it is. So how do people find you, Trevor? Uh, so you can email me, um, <clears throat> Trevor at appthink.io. I'm, I'm sure we'll put that in show notes. Um, <clears throat> pardon me. Um, you can also visit the website. It's appthink.io. Um, uh, you can find me at appthink on all, pretty much all the social media platforms. So Instagram, LinkedIn. I uh, haven't got the Twitter thing going yet, but, and Facebook. Uh, we post pretty regularly. You know, we're, we're pre-launch at this point. So uh, one thing that I would really love it if your listeners would do is just go Go read the blog. Uh, we just put out an ebook, um, so there's a really, really bright, easy ways to find that on the website. Um, I would love to get some feedback, right? We've we've been doing our due diligence to interview people and put the stuff in front of folks, but yeah, leave a comment on a blog post. Send me an email. I'd love to hear from you. Fantastic. And so, a question that we ask every guest on the show is, "What's some of the best <clears throat> advice you've ever received?" So it's funny. We we were talking about that and the conversation we just had, I think is very prescient for, for this conversation because uh, the best advice that I ever received was from a guy in Atlanta. Uh, he's a good friend and a mentor. His name's Mo Bunnell. Um, and he is a business development uh, expert and trainer, right? Um, and when I was first getting started, I sent him an email, just totally cold. 
uh, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how to sell. I can't close clients. What's going on? Um, you know, I've learned a lot. I've been reading a bunch of books. And, and he said, you know, Trevor, what you need to do is find someone to let you do some work for free, for cheap, whatever it is, but you need to do some work. The point that he was making, and I think this is prescient for what we were just talking about, is that if you spend a lot of time trying to learn before you're doing work, right, before you're actually working with things, um, <clears throat> you're going to be super smart without anything to do, right? Um, the other way around is you're going to learn as you're working. Your skill sets will improve, and, and that's kind of what we're trying to do with that thing. <clears throat> we're trying to create a, a, an environment where uh, a founder can have an idea and come to us and go through our program and actually in real time as we're going through the program, apply the concepts and the principles to that concept. You can actually start doing this work, not in hypotheticals, not, you know, we're not going to tell you to, we'll give you a reading list, but we're not going to make you read a book. We want to teach you this stuff and then have you actually apply it in real time while you're with us going through this course to your actual concept. And we're here to give you feedback. We've created a community to give you feedback, but we want to get you out of what we're calling foundations, our first product. We want to get you out of there having done the really, really important early concept validation steps. And so I would, you know, <clears throat> I kind of rambled off there, but I, I think the best advice I ever received was to just do work, do stuff, right? Yeah. Get practice and and grow your skill set. So <clears throat> if I'm fully transparent, there's probably as many as 20 things that somebody set across from, from me and said, so you know how to do this? And I go, Oh yeah, no, I got it. Yeah. I'm here. Never yeah. done it before, but know that, <laughs> know that I can do it, know that I can yeah. work it out, know that I can figure it out. Yeah. But, but then it's in, it's a feather in the cap Then I've done it Yep. and, and I can continue to do it. Um, yeah. And so any people always say, <laughs> people always ask me, what's the best advice you have in getting my business you know, going. And I go, uh, start, get your business going. Yeah. Start <laughs> like, yeah. don't uh, go. <laughs> like, what yeah. are you waiting for? Just yeah. go. You know, it seems over, it sounds oversimplified, <clears throat> but it really isn't because it is hard. I mean, it's hard to put yourself out there. Um, I, and I agree. I've done the same thing where I've, I've taken on projects and, and, and jobs that I wasn't really that adequately prepared for, but I was pretty confident I could figure it out. I knew just enough to feel like I could, right. I could piece that together, right? Uh, and I've, I've failed at some of those. And that was good data too. That was a learning experience for me as well. Um, but <clears throat> when it comes to starting a business or building a piece of software, it is really hard to put that out there. It is. Uh, so I don't want to oversimplify that or, or cheapen that process, but you know, I, I, I had a conversation just the other day with a friend that was, you know, on the job hunt and, <clears throat> and he was kind of discouraged and, I was, and he said, you know, what, what would you do? And I said, man, when I started my business, no one wanted to hire me. And I just woke up every day and I wrote a blog post or I made 10, 15, 20 cold calls. Just go do something like you will get some feedback. You will get a, a little thread that you can tug on uh, and you're going to learn a lot about yourself and about your concept and about the way that you like to do business in the process. So, you know, for, that's, not, I don't want to be too rah-rah about it, but get out there and, and start your thing. Start doing the stuff. It's, it's, you've got a, uh, there is a certain amount of learning that you will have to do to successfully start and operate a business. Uh, and you can't get rid of that, right? You have to go through that. And the longer you wait to start it, it just extends the time to you getting something out the door and solving people's problems and hopefully making money with it. So get it started now. There's so many people, including myself, um, that started their jobs or started their companies on a necessity. Yeah. Um, and, and 
it, it always leads me back to thinking grow rich where it talks about burn all bridges behind you that you, you you've got to be committed right you really yeah. got to be committed but when i started to think back at r squared which you know is is now 15 years old mm-hmm. um i started it because the the owner of the company that i was working for bankrupted the company and i didn't have a job and i wasn't going to be able to find one in an amount of time but i did have a a prospect list a client list to do the mm-hmm. same thing i was doing just to go do it on my own and not rely mm-hmm. on somebody else's payroll and so i did and in i was blessed to land devon energy like literally the next week yeah uh and had my so i was profitable in my first month of my company but but that's the same thing as I could have I could have analyzed that for six months, eight months, ten months, and not taken any step. And and luckily I was thrown into into deep water and, and was taught yeah. to paddle. But but I think it's important that you have a mentality of something like that. If you're going to do it, go do it. Deal with the consequences. Mm-hmm. Learn from the success and or failure. And and most likely it's going to be hefty on the failure and light mm-hmm. on the success early on. Yeah. Uh, but go and grow. Progress is, is more important than perfection. You know, to, to, to give you a quippy line to take away, um, especially early, you need to move something forward because you, you just can't, you can't know until you know, right? You can't know until you have the experience. You can read all the books you want. That's why the book, you know, the business book world is booming, right? You know, I mean, and, and I'm not knocking it because I, I mean, I think you've got books, right? And those are great. They give you information, but there's just no substitute for experience. You know, right. you, you want to you wanna learn the things and books are great for that, but you do need to actually put pen to paper or, you know, shoe leather on the ground. You've, you've got to get out and do some work. So, yeah, I mean, Mo was instrumental in so many ways for me, but that, first conversation that we had where he told me that was, was kind of a kick in the pants to get going, you know, um, and to really put some effort behind it. And I, and I did, you know, three years later, we're rocking and rolling. We got a new pro- a new company and a new product coming out and it's just, you know, it's been a blast. Yeah. So we've got just a couple of minutes left, but um, <clears throat> sure. is there a question that you wish I would have talked or asked you that I didn't ask? Oh gosh. No, you know, I think, I think you got just about, all of the questions, especially the ones that we had talked about, but, you know, I actually, you know, there is one, um, that's on here, uh, how much money should I spend or how much money can I expect to spend? Um, you know, this is something that is near and dear to my heart. Look, software is expensive, but there's a hundred billion different ways to skin that cat. Um, if you're hiring a development shop, it's going to cost you 200 plus bucks an hour, right? If you're, if you're taking on a CTO, you're going to give up 40, 50% 40, 50% of your company. If you're hiring freelancers, you're going to pay their rate. It'll be a little lower than a dev shop, but then you're going to have to manage them. And if you don't know how to do it, you're going to screw that up too. So I would focus, you know, an, an awful lot more on scoping your product appropriately. You know, it's going to be expensive one way, one way or the other, but instead of thinking about how, like the dollar amount, you know, this process, this product management process of actually getting to a valuable product, scoping an MVP is an art form. And it's something that I think everybody needs to learn a lot sooner than later, um, because we get into those issues where somebody says, I want this, 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 this. And then we end up with a requirements list that just, it just takes six plus months to build it, if not like years to build it. And it probably doesn't work right when you launch it. So I would rather see somebody scope an MVP that takes three months to build and costs, you know, $20,000 or nothing if you can bring on a CTO, right? And you get it out the door and you start getting data. Well, Trevor, we've enjoyed having you on the show. It's amazing that um, this is the second time we've met. We're literally yeah. 10 miles apart. Yeah, in the middle of the pandemic. we don't see each other. Yeah. yeah. 
So uh, we, we've got it. We've got to solve that. We've yeah. definitely got to solve that. But uh, we appreciate you coming on the show. For everybody else, we'll be back next Friday live. As always, you can reach me at, at Rick A. Morris on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn. And uh, we will see you next Friday. And until then, we hope everybody lives their own work-life balance. Thank you for joining us this week. The Work-Life Balance with Rick Morris can be heard live every Friday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Now that the weekend is here, it's time to rethink your priorities and enjoy it. We'll see you on our next show. 